and welcome to episode 48 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Dude, I beat the Matador. Yay! Yay! I expected you guys to be more excited. No, I'm very yeah. happy for you. But you, you told me earlier that you're like near the end of the game, so like I know, beating the I know, Matador I know, is like now. It's like a nice continuation from the last podcast. I was so stifling me mad because that flamingo dancer was beating me. So. <laughs> Did you fight uh I can't remember what her name is, but the one with like all the heads? No. Did you fight the trumpeter? Uh no, I think that might be an optional boss actually. I can't remember. That, that one's awesome. Sorry. Uh, I no, no, no problem. Uh, no problem. So, uh yes, and that was my esteemed colleague who is in a non-air conditioned room right now and is very upset about it. Yeah, Stephen Meyering, Taylor's on the boards, and I believed in Harvey Dent. Oh, for God's sake. My buddy just posted on Facebook. My buddy Nathan just posted, uh, Batman kills Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no! Uh, and then finally we have, oh God, I didn't introduce him first. So I think that means that I'm probably going to get fired. Yeah, whatever. This is John. Um, I'm editor-in-chief of this website. All right. We prefer to call him Supreme Overlord. I call him Lord Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> We're all afraid. John Demort. <laughs> So, uh, we've got some more games to talk about with this summer season. We are all feeling the hit of the Steam sale. Actually, John, you said you didn't spend that much on the Steam sale. No, I didn't. I like most of most of the stuff that I was picking up is is DLC, and I picked up a couple little stuff. But no, like, oh, look at this AAA title that I really, really absolutely needed. Yeah, I picked up a couple things. Uh, not a whole lot of RPGs. Oh. Uh, no, I did. I picked up, uh, even though I own Felgana on PSP, I picked up both the Ease games. Cool, cool. Or Wise, as I called it when I was a kid. So did I. <laughs> I know. We were. I... Yes. It was so mysterious. Yes, Wise. So, uh, I figure we'll start right now by talking about a major MMO release. Uh, what was it? Maybe two weeks ago? Uh, the Secret World came out. So, Funcom's modern day, no levels, RP, MMORPG, and uh, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> no, sir, no, sir, I don't like it. You know, I, well, sir, I, I didn't like it. The, the Secret World is really kind of tough in that it's it's got a market. It's got a very clear market, and I think it's going to be very divisive. It's one of those games where I think like Nier or... You know, even this guy, it's going to be one of those games where it's like you play it and you love it or you play it and you go, what the hell is this? Well, what makes The Secret World so interesting, so for uh, for fans that don't know, it is a modern-day MMO where you are playing a character that can join one of three fa factions that uh, kind of works behind the shadows, and they're like all these uh, conspiracy theorists and whatnot. Um, as far as I can tell, you have a choice between the Illuminati – who are kind of like the uh, the social elite, the people that go out like they're they're hackers and whatnot, and they're kind of like making deals with the devil, that sort of thing. Yeah, the their leader is J.C. Denton. Yes, uh, pretty much. The uh, Templars are like the religious organization, like they're trying to control evil for good. And uh, then the third class is just like Asians. <laughs> like, I I don't know how to like. Literally, the third class is just like Yakuza. And, Fantastic. And I don't, I, I don't feel like the third group really fits in with the mythology of the other two. But maybe I just didn't play enough of it. But I was like, I think I'm just Asian. 
And okay, that's cool. So uh, you start up the game, and right away, I think what really struck me about the Secret World was one, it, it looks great. Uh, definitely can tell that they put a lot of time into this game. Quality voice acting. Uh, it's got a really good presentation style, kind of like a uh, kind of like an X Filesy, uh, Twin Peaksy kind of like. You know, like a, a faux reality that is really interesting, really draws you in uh, really quickly. The the writing is pretty good. And then you start playing. <laughs> and hey, that Now, let's, let's be clear. The the stuff that, when you say playing, it's not like you go around. It's, it's just a combat that's really, really, well, really bad. And that's what's so uh, frustrating about this game is that a lot of people have said that the main director on this game is a former dude who uh, made a bunch of point-and-click adventure games. And the highlight of this game is supposed to be the point-and-click adventure part of it, the, the part where like you have to uh, break Morse code and you're going to have to use the game's in-game web browser to get hints on how to break down Morse code and, and figure out all this different crazy stuff. Like That's supposed to be the highlight of the game. In the three or four hours that I played, I didn't see any of that. All I saw was the most boring, awful MMO combat that just – we were joking before about how uh, – Steven, what, what was your comment? Steven's comment about what's the combat like was? one 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 two one 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 two three one 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 and then, and then they John, corrected me. <laughs> and then John, yeah, 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 no, no, it's not that good. It's just one 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 really bad like i it is everything it's the exact same thing that ripped me out of uh the old republic first off i i just i'm putting this on the table any developer that's listening to this show if you don't have an auto attack in your mmo i don't care i no (laughs) no i would not play your mmo if there isn't an auto attack that is stupid no bad dog it, it, All I could think of when you said that was when uh, Brian was slapping Peter on his hand and family guy going, no, no. And I just – what is going through their mind? Like to, to, to literally sit there, as Steven's saying, and just hit one, 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 one. When I'm playing a, a different MMO that is very close to release, and we're all playing the beta weekend right now, uh, when I play that MMO, like I set my auto attack and I can move around and start deciding on what other skills I want to use, and it feels tactical. It feels fun. I'm not just pressing one, 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 one. It. Sorry, I'm done now. Rob, why don't you tell us how you feel? Ah, yeah. So I didn't even get to the good part of the secret world, and it's a real shame because, like, I wanted to get there, and you know, for as bad as the combat is, like, the the world appeals to me. I like the whole modern day MMO focus on clandestine organizations and like evil Cthulhu myth- mythos. I like that stuff. That stuff says something to me. Zalgo, he comes. What, what's interesting is both the games that we're talking about today are very, very slow starters. Yeah. And like, ugh. I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I, like I said at the very beginning is, is you're, you're either going to get the secret world or you're not. And I, I feel like the people who are going to get it and who don't mind that the combat is really crappy are going to latch onto it and be like, this is the greatest MMO in the history of the universe. Meanwhile, yeah. Rob, Rob boots it up and he just goes, I'm fun comes reckoning. 
Oh, boy. Can you tell what weekend we recorded this, big guys? Anybody? Anybody want to take a guess? Um, yeah, I I don't know. How long before it goes free-to-play? Quickly, I think. Well, I don't know. How long, is it, how long is it taking Star Wars? They're already talking about that. Well, there's like, rumors about it, it, that. I, I find it very interesting that, that EA backed... This is a fun, calm, developed game, but I find it interesting that EA backed two MMOs for release in the same year. Yeah. EA backed this? Yeah. This is, this is an EA Partners game. So, John, like, releasing two MMOs, like, do you think that this is putting a strain on EA this year? Like, do you, do you think oh, that... Oh, no, no, no. There, I, EA didn't put any development resources into the second true, one. True, true. Like, like... There's a cannibal quality to this whole thing, though. Like, MMOs are built around the subscription service. Both of these MMOs are subscription service. And as Steven was mentioning, like, Maybe the older public... See... Go ahead. I was going to say, maybe they don't see any competition between these two MMOs. Maybe they actually said this is definitely not a combat-oriented MMO. It could be. I just, you know, the Old Republic is apparently, I don't want to say struggling, but it's it's not the big giant success that I think everybody was hoping it to be. Um, I think people... Hey, I, I called it. I, I expected about 1 million to 1.5 million subscribers. No, you did. And I, I think that it was... Was World of Warcraft lightning in a bottle? I think we're getting more and more confirmation well, and, that, that it was. And, and I believe that the the subscription MMO market is shrinking. I, I do believe that there's actually a pretty significant market out there for free-to-play MMOs. And there's a significant market out there for free-to-play non-MMOs, a, even in the hardcore spaces. You know, I'm playing uh, Blacklight Retribution, which is Perfect World's free-to-play shooter. Like, it's a multiplayer shooter, and it's great. I like it, and which blows my mind, because I would never have expected to play a free-to-play multiplayer shooter that was any good. Yeah. I want to try that, actually. Well, I, 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 I kind of look at it like uh, when you say World of Warcraft being lightning in a bottle, it's kind of like the, the whole competition between Android tablets and iPad People have realized, I think a lot of analysts and, you know, just reviewers in general are saying the way to beat iPad isn't to just make a super-powered Android tablet that looks like an iPad. It's They have to differentiate because if you just make something that's basically the same thing, it's not going to, you know, why are people going to jump ship from World of Warcraft to Old Republic when you're essentially getting the same game with a different skin? Right, right. And it's really hard to make a good argument for a subscription-based model, especially when you have free-to-play MMOs coming out like Guild Wars 2, that play really, really well and don't feel cheap. I think the the stigma of the free-to-play game feeling cheap and people, like, immediately associating it with, like, Farmville, that's gone away. And we're seeing quality titles that are being released with a free-to-play mindset, and that's uh, kind of huge. Speaking Especially of... Especially after... Uh... After when I was playing Fantasy Star Online 2, I was really concerned when they were talking about it being free to play. But that game is not, you know, that game has options, but it reminds me of Guild Wars in the way where you don't feel like you're being hamstrung by the because you haven't spent 30 bucks buying experience boosters or something. And, but you can spend $30 buying hats. Yes, and hats are totally optional. And actually, some of them are kind of awesome. And Steven's going to buy hats. And it's a pizza hat, okay? It's just a it's a pizza. Well, it's funny that you brought up Fancy Star uh, Online too, because last time we recorded, we were talking about, oh, is it going to come to America? And yeah, it is. It is, yay! Next year sometime, and I we have absolutely no additional information at this time. Cool. I, I hey, but 
Awesome. That we will take credit for that. Eat your heart yes. out, Operation Rainfall. We will take credit for that. <laughs> yes, that was, that was entirely us. It, yeah, all us. What exactly is Operation Rainfall doing now that most of the games they've been fighting for have actually come out? Earthbound. They're being, they're being <laughs> I don't know. They're no. They're trying to be us and RP gamer. They're like they're they're turning to role playing game reviews. Oh, cool. Nifty. Well, Nifty. they can they can burn in hell. No, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You guys did a good thing. We got Xenoblade. I'm if happy. they ever come and interview on the podcast, you realize now they're going to be like, hey, remember that one where you said that they could burn in hell? <sighs> yeah. There, there's a reason why we can't have David Cage on this podcast. <laughs> he found out about me. So, uh, yeah, that's the secret world. I'd, I mean, I, I think it's – if it didn't have a subscription model and it was cheaper – I'd say give it a shot and see if it's your thing. I think that the adventure game aspect of it is really, really intriguing. I, I kind of just wish that that's what the game was. I, I wish that there wasn't combat in it, but, you know, it's a video game, and apparently every video game you need to shoot or whack something. I just want The Longest Journey 3. Oh, God, that game was so good. Yep, that's the uh, that's secret world. Uh, what else did I do? Uh, got a lot more of Nocturne under my belt, just about finished, and, uh, I like it. I like it a lot. It, it, it's... Wait, when you say just about finished, what level are you, and how many hours have you put in? Uh, it? I'm, like, maybe level 55, and I've put about 18, 19 hours into it. I think you still got a little bit to go. I, I've got, like, four or five dungeons, and two of them are apparently long as hell. Yeah, one of them is the final dungeon, and that dungeon is long as, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I do want to finish it. Um, it it's it's funny because you guys were saying that it's a slow burn. You got to give it a chance, and then it starts to click. And as the options really did open up, as the as my choices and the uh, demons that I could fuse, and as the difficulty kind of started to even out a little bit, and it I I agree with Steven. I think it's gotten a lot easier as I yeah. keep playing it. I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, there, there are some little things here and there, like the uh, some of the puzzles in the dungeons have been a little obnoxious. Like the one dungeon where you could like flip the whole dungeon upside down in like the mirror world, and then you could, you had to like go down ladders and whatnot. That was getting was that the, was that the diet building? No, no, no. It was it was way earlier. It was the one prison level, and it was obnoxious. Oh. It was obnoxious because the map wouldn't flip. So I was sitting there with my fiance next to me, and we were like trying to go. Okay, this is up now, Jackie. Please remember that so that I don't kick myself in five minutes. That got a little frustrating, but the the game's difficulty has been really interesting. I think the difficulty was really really high at the beginning. It's kind of fallen off, and I find it funny that they send you. There's a lot of backtracking in the game, and I've I've had to like open up a wiki to see like okay where do I go now every once in a while. And they'll yeah, like they'll tell you go back to Asakusa when you're at the end of the game. You're like I don't remember where that is. Yeah. Yeah, they they send you back to areas and the enemies will sometimes get a boost, but a lot of times they're the same enemies that you fought five hours ago and you just demolish them. I find that very satisfying. I yeah, it's fun when you when you you just jump into like a fight with all their enemies and you're like, oh, hi, how you doing? And then all of a sudden you drop like my boofu dine on them and they all just blow up and, you know. I, I love a game that gives me a sense of progression. And I think one area where RPGs uh, lack a little bit is. You're usually in a typical RPG. You're just always fighting enemies that are, you know, th this level comparison to you. You're level 20. You're fighting 19, 19 through 21. You're level 40. You're fighting 39 through 41. You don't feel like you're getting stronger. I think the best RPGs give you a chance to let you feel that power. And I think Nocturne does a great job of that. 
Um, you know, I love revisiting old areas and action RPGs once I've gotten better with the game and once I've gotten stronger. I love that stuff. I, I just loaded up Final Fantasy X again to play around with my save like last week. And uh, I have three characters who all have damage break. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> damage. <laughs> so so literally I'm going and I'm in the, the Omega dungeon and I'm doing nine, 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 nine damage to everything. Uh, you know, that was satisfying. It was also satisfying when you played that god awful blitzball game long enough to get Waka's best limit break, the attack reel, and you gave him damage limit, and then he would throw like a hundred blitzballs doing ninety nine thousand, and everything would die in one hit. Ah, uh, that, that I love it when a game's that broken. Maybe that's why I like the original Disgaea so much. It's well, a game that it, rewards you for breaking it. That's that's why I like a lot of the old Triace games is because they are broken. You know, try and now. What's interesting is I really didn't like Resonance of Fate, which is apparently the most broken of them all. But, oh. l- like, I remember playing Star Ocean 2 for hours upon hours upon hours, just being like, what crazy crap can I do? You talked about that, too, with uh, Morrowind, and I bring that up because Morrowind was uh, five bucks today. So much today. fun to break. Huh? That game was so much fun to break. That game came up on Steam sale for five bucks, and I, I really thought about picking it up, but I, I'm just like, look, I bought way too many games. I have way too many books to read, games to play, movies yeah. to watch. I, I just don't think I would play it that much, but I was intrigued when you guys were talking about the way that you can go into that game and really tool around with it, and I, I, I really like that. Like It's pretty much like having Gary's mod in your game. <laughs> yeah. I still, to this day, the... The Morrowind has the two funniest things that Bethesda has ever done, other than the Wabajack. It has the the wizard that falls out of the sky and dies, and he creates the the scroll of flight, but it wears off just long enough for you to die from falling. And then there's a guy where you, if you're walking around in Balmora and you walk by him, he goes, "Some people are born stupid, like me, for instance." <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Nocturne, uh, really enjoying it, really looking forward to finishing it, and uh, you know, hopefully moving on to Digital Devil Saga. I know Lard oh. was yelling at me on the boards to start Shadow Hearts, but I think I'm kind of, I'm in an SMT mood right now, so. That's okay, you can't lose with any of those options. Yeah, yeah, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm very happy, and I, I want to beat it, but my second job is beating the crap out of me right now, and I, I don't want to do anything when I come home, so, yeah. Hear that? And uh, yeah, that's. I think that's all I've been playing. So, who's next? Right. Steve. Well, Steve and I have been playing the same game, so that's uh, that's an easy decision on where we go next. Do Fair it. enough. So, uh, so, oh, I'll let you go since you've actually played significantly more of the game than I have. Oh, okay. Uh, well, the game we're talking about is Rainbow Moon. Um, it is a P- PS3 downloadable game. Um. And the gist of it is it is a strategy RPG with a very large amount of content and a very large amount of grinding. However, the game starts out slow, much like Shin Megami Tensei. But, and I was telling John when I first started, I go, God, I've killed like a thousand bees. This is horrible. And the combat itself is pretty, you know, it's pretty good. It's just when you first start, you have one character, you have one turn, you'll fight seven guys, and you just got to whack them, and it takes, you know, forever to win in one fight. You, you literally you just go into the corner, and you're like, okay, I better hope one of these guys drops money so that I just <laughs> have a stream of bees coming to their death. <laughs> yeah, and then that, that's the thing is in this game, enemies can drop piles of money or, like, you know, just their, their items, when you kill them, they'll fall on the map. 
but for whatever reason, enemies can't walk on top of that. So the best strategy when you're early in the game is to run to a corner and keep killing enemies in the same spot so they drop money so you can only get attacked from one angle and then just whack everything that comes up to you. And for a while, it, it is like that. First two, maybe even three hours, it's a little bit, you know, it, it's just grinding. Like there's even once you get further in, there's really no plot to speak of. It's, uh, yeah, you're here on the rainbow moon and you have to get off somehow. So go do random fetch quests. But the, the, the intro movie I thought was hilarious because it doesn't even explain. It's like, you've got a rival and he threw you into this portal and now you're on the moon. <laughs> now you're on Rainbow Moon. And all the people talk to you, they're like, hey, you shut up and monsters shut up. We don't like you. So please go find me a frog and I will trust you. And it, the, the plot. Would is you just, like a helmet? Bring yeah. me these. If you bring me more, I'll give you more helmets. <laughs> the same helmets. They're like, I'll give you 50 of the same helmet. No, you can't do anything with it, but it's awesome. But so I, I was playing it at first and I was like, you know, the presentation's good. The music is excellent. And, you know, it, it's, you know, the pace of combat was a little off. But then, you know, you start to get more abilities. You start to you earn additional. They call them sub turns. But basically, it's the number of actions you can you can do in one turn. And you get additional party members. And suddenly it really opens up and there's a lot of strategy to it. Like. The second character you get has a bow and arrow, and she learns a couple of skills. And rather than just getting, you know, straight damage skills, you get a lot of skills that attack in certain patterns. Like the protagonist gets a move where he can smash the two squares directly in front and to the left and right of him, but not directly in front of him. So you can put someone in front of him and then have him attack the two characters on their side. Or he gets one where he can't attack directly in front of him, but the four squares ahead of that he can hit. And then the archer can get, you know, oh, I can attack in this wide cone or I can attack really far. And you start to get enough turns that you really are thinking, how can I, you know, take out the greatest number of enemies with these limited actions I have? And you start picking up tons of, you know, skills. And there's there is still a lot of grinding to it. Like you every time you level up, you have a certain limit that you can get your stats to. And you find these things called rainbow pearls from enemies and they let you raise your stats to a certain limit. And basically, every time you level up, you have to farm for these pearls or you're not going to be strong enough to fight the enemies in the next area. And in that regard, they actually offer you can, you know, pay money. It's, it's like free to play. You can pay money to get like a million pearls or, you know, coins or whatever. But I, I haven't really found it to be necessary. But it it really does open up. And the gameplay, if you're into like playing a strategy RPG just for gameplay, like if you enjoyed the first Disgaea because you could grind endlessly, I suspect you will probably find this game awesome. If you don't, you won't. Yeah, it's it's very gameplay oriented. I'm not I don't love it, but I'm definitely not sitting here going, Oh, this is this is horrible. I'm bored. You know, it's it's enjoyable. It's just when I beat it, I'm not gonna play it anymore. But if you mm. like to just min max and just sit there grinding and grinding and becoming absurdly strong, you have a lot of tactical options and mm. there is a ton of content in this game. And one thing that's worth noting is the the setup is not like a standard strategy RPG where it's like, here's a battle, here's a story sequence, here's a battle. It's set up like a regular RPG where you wander around and you touch something and it gives you an SRPG battle. And they're they're really quick compared to like Front Mission or or any of those style of game or Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre or whatever. A yeah. battle will take you a minute or two. Uh, and that's even if you're fighting a crap load of enemies, like uh, at the very beginning of the game, you know, you, when you just have one guy, you'll fight like seven enemies. And, and it can take, oh, oh, go ahead. 
I was say, yeah. And when you fight, you know, sometimes you'll 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 just groan. You're like, oh god, my guy has two actions. The this enemy it tells you how many enemies when you run into them. Like it'll say, you know, level five thief, seven enemies, and you know you're gonna be there just like whack, 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 whack. It's not so bad though. Like it's it's easier than grinding in a regular strategy RPG. I I I'm less fond of it than Steven is, but I still respect what it's doing and I see where there will be people who like the game. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with the game. It's just you have to, you know, it's it's one of those experiences where you go into it knowing what to expect, you know. You don't go into it expecting a lot of dialogue, a lot of plot, you know, interesting quests. It's run around and do a bunch of, you know, fetch quests, fight a ton of monsters and jack up your characters. If you like that, you'll probably like the game because in that regard, there aren't many missteps because it's, it is very well presented. Everything is explained really well. I mean, every time you get a status effect that's new, every time something new shows up, you immediately get a tutorial that explains it, even if like an enemy shows up and casts haste before you know what haste is, the game will pop up and be like, oh, an enemy casted haste. This is what this does, just in case you needed to know. And it's very accessible in that regard. And, like, there's just a lot of little details that, you know, I really feel like the developers put a lot of care into it. Like, if you if you put the game down for, like, I think it's like a minute, the game will automatically pause itself so your timer doesn't rack up. So I'm really notorious for playing a game and then putting the controller down for four hours. And the game pauses, so my time is actually reflective of what I'm actually playing. And I know that seems like a minor thing, but just throughout the game, there are a lot of little details that really said that these guys cared a lot about making this game, and it, I think it shows. Though the one thing that we were talking about before is that the game has some really awkward um, <laughs> dialogue and and uh, all this stuff like that. Um, I'm trying I'm figuring out where side quest is. Oh man, that chick was so hot. I wanted to sex her so bad. What? What what? Is that how bad it sounds? I'm just thinking well, about like I'm thinking about actually, family guy. <laughs> in all honesty, that actually is what it sounds like sometimes. Because <laughs> you meet this couple that you're trying to help them date and she goes, Oh, I'm so beautiful. I want to date that guy so badly, but my hair is a mess. Please find my comb. <laughs> they're German. Uh, oh, oh, they're, oh, yeah, so it, it's not badly translated. It's just awkwardly translated. Like John was pointing out, and when, whenever there's a context thing that comes up that you can press the X button, instead of saying, you know, X, interact, it says press X to trigger. Uh, it reminds yeah. me of press X to Jason, which immediately made me go watch that video. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy the, the bug at the very end of the game where you just yell Sean over and over and over again. Sean! <laughs> I'm, I'm having now. flashbacks to Jason. I'm, I'm having that's, what, that's what we're talking about, Rob. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love how fast. In press X to Jason, you can press it so fast that he doesn't finish saying the first this, one. This, so he's this, like, Jason. So you like it? Yeah, like, I don't love it. Like, it's not because it's not like, you know, I love Final Fantasy Tactics. It's one of my favorite games ever because the plot is there to get, like, I need an impetus to actually sit down and do all this grinding. It's not Diablo where I don't, it does, I don't need any contact. I just want to slaughter everything and find loot. In this game, it's a lot of fun to raise your characters, but there's no impetus plot-wise to do it. So for me, it's not great. But for someone who's just into gameplay or just wants to have a game that they can just, I mean, I don't know what the game actually retails for, but I think it's like 15 bucks. And 15 bucks, 12 if you're a PlayStation Plus member. 
Yeah, and this the main story itself, I have about 14 hours on it now, and people are saying the main story is 40 hours. You're getting a crap load of quality gameplay. So if you like that type of thing, this is without a doubt something you should pick up. But if you're looking for plot, dialogue, you know, context for you running around whacking monsters, you're not going to get it here. I love how you just went out of your way to not say content. I know. You were getting ready to do it, weren't you? I hate that word so much, and I said it earlier, and I already feel dirty. Well, no, it, it – yeah, no. Content, I, is, content is what is wrong with the industry, in my opinion. But now – It's not art – or it's not – it's not. they're not making games for entertainment. They're making products with content for consumers. But now – that, that, that's, that's not anything new. That's not. That's how – Anything that goes on sale is. Yeah, I know. But now, Stephen, I haven't, haven't but you... But now it's just more obvious. Stephen, haven't you had moments like... Uh, I'll just give a, a brief aside for something that happened to me last week. So uh, on Steam sale, Max Payne 3 was 30 bucks. <laughs> what? Sorry, you mentioned Steam sale, and I just thought of the disaster that is my checking account right now because yeah, of that. Yeah, I know. I, I'm sitting there like telling Jackie, we got to save up money for the wedding. Like, we got to save money. And then the Steam sale started, and I was like, oh, dear. Um, I own 23 more games now than I did a week and a half ago. Yeah, I think I own like 10 more, and I spent like 70 bucks. I think that's good. Uh, so, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, so Max Payne 3, I bought for 30 bucks on Steam sale. I beat it in two days, about eight hours. Enjoyed the hell out of it. Had a great time. Definitely enjoyed it, uh, but now I'm sitting here going, if I had paid sixty bucks for that, I think I would have been upset because it doesn't have a whole lot of replay value from my perspective, and I think I would have been kind of down on it. And so, in that respect, is the content argument a positive or negative? Like, how do you feel about something? Have you ever played a game where you're sitting there going, I really wish I didn't spend sixty bucks on that game, not because it was bad, but because it ended before you wanted it to, before you felt like you got your money's worth. Yeah, absolutely. There are lots of games that don't have enough content. Um, but on the flip side, there are games that are short that I love. Sure. Like, I don't I don't regret paying full money for Portal or Portal 2, because both of those were absolutely fantastic games. Now, to be fair, Portal 1 was part of the orange box, but, you know, I... Value-wise, it was worth it. Yeah, it was worth it for Portal 2. I mean... Like, I went out and got it when it came out, and I was like, this game is awesome! doesn't matter that it only took me four hours to beat. It was it was a thoroughly enjoyable experience, you know? And then there are other games where I buy where I, I wish that they had less content. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. No, yeah. I, no, I completely agree with you. Like, when, I say, when you say content like that, it's not what I take issue with. It's like when people are talking about, like, oh... We just released Battlefield 3 Elite, and it's going to have tons of premium content for fans who love it. And I'm like, oh, none of that is actual gameplay. It's just crap. But no, no, me. no. I, you know what? I, I disagree there. You know what? When it comes, if you're hardcore into a multiplayer shooter, a new map really is new gameplay. Yeah, a that's new true. Gameplay I, I, really is new gameplay. I suppose that's just because you know. I mean, I like shooters, but I'm not like into like those types of multiplayer shooters. For me, like, I've definitely, like, I can't come up with anything off the top of my head, but, I mean, I'm sure I've bought a game and then been like, wow, I finished that. I wish I hadn't spent that much money on it. But uh, I guess a lot of the games I've bought lately have had a lot of stuff in them. Like, I mean, I bought, most recently, I mean, I bought SSX, and, I mean, I paid full price for that, and that game just has tons of stuff going on in it. And, oh, yeah. You know, on the other hand, there's stuff like Rainbow Moon. That game 
the value for what you're getting there in terms of the amount of gameplay, especially if you like that type of gameplay, is nuts. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. Like, like I said, I think that that games need to have uh, a length that's appropriate to the type of game that it is. Like, yeah. I don't want to play a single-player first-person shooter for more than eight hours, and that's pretty top-end. Like, when people are like, oh, the campaign is only, you know, five hours, I'm like, I'm cool with that, because that's a shooter that I can actually sit down and beat. Yeah, there's something yeah, to be agree. said for a game that you can beat in your everyday life. And like we've talked about before, when you're a kid, and maybe you don't have access to a lot of money, there's a different mindset from, oh, I'm going to play this game for, like, an entire summer, whereas us with limited amount of time if we want a game to end so that we can move on to something else you know we don't want a 40-hour experience where a 10-hour experience would have been great yeah. like i'm i'm happy with 20-hour rpgs like that is totally oh, yeah. cool with me yeah i'm gonna beat nocturne I'm, I'm probably gonna beat it around 30 hours and you know that's a little bit shorter than what i think a lot of people are looking for in an rpg i think that's a great time period for that game i think and, it's great and, and the thing is if you want more out of that game, you can easily get another yes. 40 hours out of that. And yes. that's, that's I'm not, the I'm, game I like the best. I'm like, not even screwing around with the optional dungeon that they added to the game. Like, I'm, I'm not screwing around with that. Yeah, if you, wanna, if you get that true demon ending where you finish the optional dungeon and have the, the extra final boss, you have to, it's, you're literally going to have to, you have to get to, like, level 90. Yeah, and see, I, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm I'm reaching like the downward part of that game where it's like I, I've really been enjoying it, but I'm I'm ready for it to end. I'm ready for I'm ready for it to end. Ready for it to move on to another game, and then that's going to be interesting with um, you know a big MMO because I'm going to play Guild Wars two. Am I going to want to play Guild Wars two for six months, or is that going to be a title that I'm really going to burn through the content with one character and then say, yeah, I think I'm done. I don't know. What? I, it's it's intriguing for me because I, I played World of Warcraft pretty hardcore and I would be happy to log on every day and do the same content to get more loot. Um, I, I can't really play many MMOs anymore. Like I played the Old Republic and I played till the end of my story quest, but it, I, I didn't want to do in-game content. I just wanted to do the story. How long did it take you to get to the end of the story in Old Republic? Because we never did a follow-up mm -hmm. podcast on that. I would say probably about 70 or 80 hours. Wow. Holy crap. I mean, but to to compare, if you go into my, my main World of Warcraft character, my rogue, oh boy. Uh, and, you and you type slash played, I think my game time played was like 112 days. Whoa. Yeah, I had, uh, on my Lord of the Rings Online character, before Minds of Moria came out, I had him maxed out, and I had done everything. And I had, like... I had like 42 days on him and that's that's the longest i've ever played anything yeah because you kind of move on steven like it, it you uh, I, i'm not calling you out for that but like you there are some games that you really like that you haven't even beaten including one very special game from last year that is being re-released that you have not beaten yet that's because i want to play it on my awesome pc ah okay fair enough I, I intentionally stopped playing it because i look forward to playing it again knowing more about the game so i know just how to level my character and just where to go to get awesome stuff okay fair enough so I've got a little bit of reader mail. Yay, reader mail. Yay. Thanks, guys. Um, Len wanted us to talk more about console games that are downloadable. Well, we just talked about Rainbow Moon. Um, we'll see next time Derek comes on if he wants to talk about Unchained Blades. I know he's working about the review. Um, it One thing that's tough with, with doing downloadable stuff is 
if one person wants to talk about it, that's cool. We'll do a segment about it. It really just comes down to have we played it? And a lot of the times the people that review uh, the the downloadable stuff don't come on the podcast very often, and maybe that's something that we should remedy. So thank you for the um, uh, feedback. suggestion. Feedback, yeah. So hopefully you liked our old discussion about uh, about Rainbow Moon there. Um, do, 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 uh, Alan suggests we talk about game tier jerkers. That's something that would probably be a, uh, much longer topic than we have to no, talk no, about. No, today. no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Alan also said, if you look at that first paragraph, John, you didn't point this one out. I'll try not to put every question I have in a single email. Otherwise, John might need to bust out a pipe and some bifocals to peruse. <laughs> I can see John with a pipe and bifocals now. Alan, thank you, you would, for that. Alan, you would fit right in on this podcast. I, I have very good vision. Thank you very much. <laughs> he does. Um, I met him. And, and actually, uh, he asked another question if any of us are considering going elsewhere into the games industry. Um, you know, I, I originally my goal was to get into games PR. Um, that's, that's not my goal anymore. Um, one of the, my my brother's a programmer in the games industry, and the games industry is very very hardcore in regards to the amount of time that it requires of you. Like if you're going to have a job in the games industry, your job is going to be your primary thing. Um, I'm actually pretty happy. I I write specs for for websites, and and so developers know what to work on, and. Because I do it outside the games industry, I I have a nine to five job. Like I go home at five every day. I don't work overtime unless I need to, and I make decent money. And I think that I'm happy doing that, so that I can I can leave gaming as my hobby, so that I don't have it. Because uh, aside from hockey, I really don't have any kind of secondary hobby. It's not like I I watch a lot of TV or I watch a lot of movies or I have something else. Gaming really is my primary hobby, and RPG Fan allows me to keep that as a hobby since it's it's not a job, you know. So, I mean, I, I think that lots of us do have aspirations. Some people on our site have aspirations to be writers. That's why they're writing for us. They, they're not necessarily trying to go into the games industry. They like to write, and they like video games, so it's... It works out for them. Um, you know, I, I can't speak for, for others, though. I I mean, John kind of hit it for me, too. Um, I thought about getting into the games industry for a while. Um, you know, I, I have limited programming experience, so it probably wouldn't be on that level. Um, I thought about gaming journalism professionally, but I'd not really my cup of tea. Like, I like writing, but I, I like more the discussion process. You know, I'd love to podcast about video games. That's why I, I do this. When it comes to, like, if I ever wanted to design games, what I would actually – if I could do anything in the games industry, and I'm not saying that I would do it because I love teaching. It, it's my passion. It's what I really enjoy. But if I could do anything in the games industry, what I would actually like to do is what uh, N. Guy Kroll is actually doing right now where he's kind of a consultant. And he, he's brought in and he plays the game, and then he just gives honest feedback to the developers. And – you know, I'm not saying that from a perspective of, oh, I know the way a game should be. But one thing that really gets me and really grinds my gears when I'm playing a game is when I play a particular section of a game that very clearly needs needs some work. And I'm going, did 
anybody outside of the development studio play this game? Did anybody sit down and play this that didn't understand how this thing worked? And did they have an opportunity to watch someone fail at this? Because I think we've always hit those moments in video games that are just right out. Like there's moments in almost every video game that you're going, I never want to play that section again. And I would love to be a consultant and to talk to developers about that to try to make it better, to try to bring a different thought process in. And again, that's not because I have all the answers. That's because my education came as a scientist. And I was talking with one of my colleagues about this the other day. Batman's a scientist. What's that? Batman's a scientist. Batman is a scientist. He's also Sorry. the world's greatest detective. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Continue. No, that's fine. Uh, I was talking with my colleague about this, and we very much have like a Socratic dialogue when we sit down and we talk about how we teach physics to the kids. And we go, you know, real pros and cons. Like, your method works really good here. This is a pro. This is a con. Same thing with my method over here. We're not saying that our method is 100% correct, because obviously if we had teaching figured out, then every institution in the country would just be a haven of learning and every student would be a good student. We don't have it figured out because it's impossible to completely figure out. And I'm not saying that you can grind game development down to a science, but I, do, I would like to sit down and have a dialogue. When I got to go to Seattle and talk to the Guild Wars 2 guys, and I felt like I was having a dialogue with them about like, hey, I really like this aspect of your game, but here's something that is you know, troubling me a little bit. And they actually sat down and we talked about it and they like rejiggered my controls and I had a really good experience with that. I would love to do that. I don't know if it would be a career, but I would love to sit down with a game developer and literally do like a pros and cons. Like, I like this. What are you doing over here? You know, I, does, does that sound weird or? No, no, no. I, and I think more game developers need to do that. I've had I've had the the absolute pleasure of visiting many, many game studios in my tenure at RPG Fan, and it's really interesting how some developers really want that feedback and some developers seem to ignore it. Like, And this makes me really sad because the the one that I remember most was Big Huge Games because they, they well, I guess they're going to be Epic Baltimore, so I can't be too sad. But, I mean, they really, when when we went to the first press event that had playable gameplay, at their studio, and it was it was mostly hardcore press, like a hardcore fan press. There were some, you know, you had Ten Ton Hammer, you, all the RPG sites, pretty much. And it was really interesting because they were watching all of us, and they were taking notes, and they were looking at how we interacted with things, and they were asking us questions because they wanted that balance. They wanted things to be perfect. And uh, probably the most negative experience I had in regards to feedback was... Uh, Lord of the Rings, the third age, going back to kind of the uh, the Larry Probst EA. And it was almost like when we were done, it was like a, uh, 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 oh, I have forgotten the word where they get a bunch of people together and they ask them questions. Focus group? Yes, it was like that where they played the game and it was like a focus group. And it really wasn't conducive to, well, this is what you did. This is what you did wrong. It was more like, Nobody was saying anything because there wasn't a consensus. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. And I, I know that if game development was a science, then every game released would be awesome. And even games that have serious problems, you know, I, I like playing games that do new and exciting things. So I would just love to 
to be in on that process and to literally come in as an outside voice and go, you know, they give me the controller and I sit down and I play it and I just have a dialogue with the developer. Uh, I was trying to think, um, uh, I'm trying to give an example off the top of my head, but there, my, my number one, like the, the one thing that you will hear me scream when I'm playing a video game, if I really reach a breaking point is who the hell designed this? Like, how did this happen? How how could a moment like this in in a game that is just cooking and I'm having a great time with it? How can a section like this show up? And you know, it, for an example, and I'm going to it because it's one of my favorite games. Like Blight Town shouldn't have happened. The whole frame rate <laughs> problem with Blight Town that should never ever have happened. And I would have loved to have sat there with those developers and through a translator just looked at them and said, "What the hell are you doing?" Like, <laughs> Stephen, what about you? Are you interested in the games industry at all? Actually, that's something I've really been thinking a lot about lately because I'm taking a summer class now uh, for Japanese before I start graduate school in Japanese. And, you know, I really want to teach. But on the other hand, I love to write. And my whole life, I've always wondered what, what I would want to write. And I took novel writing classes in college and I hated them. I just I hated the entire process. I there was something missing from it. And just when I started writing for the site, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the, I love doing this kind of writing. And just like you said, it's the dialogue that I really enjoy. That's why I like the podcast because we all have different opinions, but you know, just our discussions are some of the things I enjoy the most. That was why I like D3 because it was like, we went and saw stuff and then we would all meet up and just talk about what we saw. And it was just, and it was really cool just to like you know do the PR stuff and like talk to different people from all the different developer developers and stuff and just see these people and I really enjoyed it. As for in the industry, I don't know if I'd want to do it full time. Like I'd love to. I, I want to keep writing. I, I mean, I'll write till the day I die. You know, in terms of like like what we're doing for RPG fan and you know I wrote a guest review on OSV.com for you know a soundtrack and I love doing that kind of stuff because that puts me into a dialogue about music, which is one of my favorite parts. If I were to work in the development side, which is probably the only one I'd consider doing as a full-time one, like pipe dream, I would love to write, you know, dialogue and scenarios for games. I don't know if I have what it takes to do that, but that would be what's most interesting to me, most, in, yeah, most interesting to me because I feel like that's what gets brushed under the rug in a lot of games is if you're going to have all these cutscenes in these games and just dialogue and stuff, why does it have to be bad? Like that's an opportunity, just such a missed opportunity. And like think of all the great games you've played that had stupid plots or that could have benefited from some fantastic writing. Like imagine you know how engaging Diablo three would be if the plot wasn't ridiculous. One thing that's interesting is we, we really should have a writing podcast because I think that a lot of the times we think dialogue is stupid or dialogue is bad. I think it's a very different to write for voice than it is to write for text. Absolutely. Yeah, And I think I think that that's something that the games industry has not caught up with in many cases. Some cases they have. There are lots of games that have great spoken dialogue, but most games have voice acting now. But the writing is still writing for text. No, I, I think that's I actually a re that's a really good point. Like I've actually said that to my friends. Like we've had discussions where we said, you know, it's like Final Fantasy X came out and it was very clear that that game there was a dissonance between the voice acting and the writing. You know, and that's why pe people gave uh, what's his name, James, uh, James Arnold Taylor. The uh, they just they railed against that guy. They're like, oh, you're terrible as Titus. Da 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 da. You know that laughter scene was awful. And 
you know, that laughing scene in Final Fantasy X is goofy, but people don't realize what he had to work with. He was told exactly what to do. So it's not like he's like, yeah, I'm a terrible laugher. Haha. They actually said laugh horribly. Yeah. I mean, Kojima very famously kept in the, uh, you know, can love bloom on a battlefield in Metal Gear Solid and the original translation from Metal Gear Solid. (laughs) And that game was really, you know, that was a translation into English where it feels natural. I remember watching that scene when I was a kid and I was like, the rest of this dialogue (laughs) felt awesome. What the hell is Otacon talking about right now? Like, <laughs> what is Otacon babbling about? Like, d- did he just get hit with like a poison dart and he's dying? Like, what is going on? Like, his, his dialogue doesn't make any sense. But I, and uh, John's one hundred percent right. Is that we're we're still in a stage where you either have game developers who maybe aren't necessarily writers writing dialogue, and you also have they're writing the text. And then somebody else is recording the dialogue and that you can lose everything in an, in a performer's interpretation of the dialogue. I mean, very famously, the uh, Batman animated series from the 90s, which is the oh, man. which is the greatest animated American cartoon of all time. And if you don't think so, you're wrong. No, um, you're wrong. OK, what beats it, John? And if you say like Doug, Mi- I'll shoot you. Mission Hill. I hate Doug. Mission Hill. Okay, uh, but what they did was they actually got the actors together, and they were one of the first shows to do this. They got the actors together, and they read the dialogue back and forth like a radio drama. They did not record dialogue separately and then piecemeal it all together. So they got to play off of each other, and that is so important uh, from a creative standpoint. And to Steven's point, I agree with you. Like As much as I love Diablo 3, that story is awful. And, and, and it's not just the story, the scenario itself. It's the individual bits of dialogue in the story that are bad, too. And it makes that, no sense because if you read the Book of Cain, if you read the backstory of Diablo, their lore is amazing. It's like that universe is so cool and so unique and so built together. And then you play the game and you're like, wow, this is like a third grade screenplay. This sucks. Well, one last thing, and then we're, we've got to move on, okay. is that, that just reminds me of the Penny Arcade where, where Leah is like, oh, uncle, you're so crazy. None of this is happening while you're being attacked by skeletons and a whole bunch of crazy <laughs> crap is happening. She's like, that's all ridiculous. And Kane's like, do you not remember the part where I went to hell? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we had Joe ask us about the Department Heaven games and whether or not there's an order he should play them in. No. There's really not. But you should really uh, play Riviera because that one is awesome. Yeah, I, I enjoy Riviera and Igdor Union. Um, I'm not so fond of uh, Knights of the Nightmare. Uh, but they're they're interconnected, but it's not not in such a way where you need to play them in any given order. Um, they were released in the order of Riviera, Igdor Union, Knights of the Nightmare. Or, did, yeah, Igdor Union, Knights of the Nightmare, uh, Dungnir. And there's actually two that never came out here in North America, so it's not like you're going to get everything. Are the plots at all related in those? Like, are they in the same universe? They're, or yeah, they're the depart the the department having games are all in the same universe. So Hexus Force isn't. You can throw that one out. Uh, but yeah, they're interrelated in the uh, the PSP version of uh, Knights of the Nightmare. You can play as Igdra from Igdra Union. Uh, there, it's little stuff. It's not, it's not like, you know, they're direct sequels to each other or anything. It's like references. 
Well, it's kind of like Final Fantasy 12 and Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, kind of. So, uh, and then one more. Um, oh, these are both suggestions, which are for us to have more detailed show notes, which we can try and do when we have interviews and that sort of thing. Um, and then RSS feed. We, we're actually looking at um, having a static HTML page that pulls info from the RSS feed. We're asking Dave to put that together. It should only take him another little bit. That actually should be pretty simple. So that one's not so much a question, but that's a good suggestion. So thank you for everyone who sent us mail. We'll yes, thank we'll definitely you. Cons- we'll consider that uh, the talking about tearjerker scenes because emotions in RPGs are a big deal. Um, but that's not something that, that I think we have the time for today or the prep for. I would agree. So. I would agree. And I can't think of any RPG that's, I've only cried at one video game. I, I hate to say it. It was Metal Gear Solid four when, Oh uh, my God. No, I, I hate, I don't know what it was, but it was the end of that game. Like the, the way the music and everything and the literal last shot of that game, I, I let out a tear. You know, it, it's, it's very interesting that it, it kind of requires mixed media for for me to be emotional like it requires audio and video and like you know what i i can't say that i've cried at any movies or any video games but what i did cry at was the futurama episode of jurassic bark that was an awesome episode and you know it that for whatever reason that hit me that's, that that show is expert at doing that though, at not getting overly sentimental, but still being getting real every now and then. Yeah, like the one when uh, when Fry thinks his brother stole his lucky clover and stole his name, and then it oh, turns yeah. out the last shot is just he didn't steal it; he named his son after him. Oh yeah, that was that was good. That was it, cash. For me, it's it's almost always music. Uh, if the music fits the scene perfectly like uh, uh, another famous scene I think we've talked about before uh, Return of the Jedi when Vader goes to save Luke I, oh, I literally that scene I am like a blubbering idiot and it never got me when I was a kid and now that I'm like older and it's become like that's part of my childhood like I become a little kid whenever I see that scene and, the, and it's I've watched the scene without the music and nothing and the music is what makes it like that John Williams score. And, and I think that that's for me, it's almost always music. And it's it's funny because my fiance is the same exact way. And it's like I've gotten worse because of her. Like yeah. I, I, I focus on music more and more. And, that's good. you know, what's very interesting is I don't talk about music in games a lot because it's not it's not my thing. And it's really not. But it can be really poignant, like the coin song from Final Fantasy six. Uh, that song. Yep. I love that song, and but you know what? If I were to listen to the song by itself, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But it's because it's interconnected with the coin scene in Final Fantasy VI that I really, really like that song because it's interconnected. I like that scene. I like the song. And I don't think either would be as strong without the other. Well, we, we talked on our music podcast way back in the day when we had Pat on that we talked about music and how there's a difference between – Video game music that you can listen to outside of the video game and video game music that is just made for the video game. And um, uh, what the hell? I've been talking about Metal Gear all day. I don't care. Uh, Metal Gear Solid soundtrack fits amazing. The original Metal Gear Solid soundtrack, that is the best music to fit with the game because it's like it's this really like sneaky kind of like ambient 
really intense, you know, you feel the emotion when you're playing that game, but Dude. you wouldn't listen to it in a car. You know what I mean? Like you, w- you I, wouldn't listen to those tracks. I agree completely. My, my example in Metal Gear 1, I tell people, people uh, when I played that game, I was playing it with my uncle. We were really close. And we, the first day we, we played that game together, it was like a revelation. I was like, this game is amazing. It's like playing an awesome spy movie. And when you get to the first boss fight with Revolver Ocelot and the song Duel starts, oh, yeah. like, you are like, it is time to, f- I was going to say a bad word, it is time to fight. Like, that, that song gets you juicing. And see, by in comparison, uh, I'm playing. This will allow us to peel into news. But uh, I'm playing Guild Wars Two, and Guild Wars Two music is like this high, epic, you know, really resounding music that doesn't. It doesn't fit with what you're doing in the game, but it creates the world, it creates the ambience, and it is music that I could listen to outside of the game because it's like good background music. It just doesn't fit with what I'm doing in the game. Meanwhile, Metal Gear's soundtrack fits exactly what you're doing with the game, but because of that, it doesn't make for good background music. I don't know how that segs us into news. I don't have any Guild Wars news. Well, no, just the fact that it's the last beta weekend right now. We're all playing it, and uh, yeah. The game is vastly, vastly improved since the first beta, and it was already pretty good. It keeps getting better, and uh, yeah, so we're recording this the weekend of the 20th, so we went and saw Batman, and now we are playing Guild Wars. And I didn't. Yeah, yeah we know, John, we know. Hate is gonna hate. Uh, hate is gonna hate. Hate is gonna hate. Um, All right, yeah. I got news. Woohoo! News! And, oh, I, oh, oh, there's one discussion we need to have at the end of the podcast. Uh, That's the last yeah, story. Yeah, that will, we'll, we didn't, we don't write about rumors on RPG Fan, but we will certainly discuss them on the podcast. Um, Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch, Wizards Edition. Why, why wouldn't it be Witches Edition? I don't know. Because but, you wish it was Edition. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, enough pre-orders from Club Namco, uh, Namco's online store, and they will add more stuff to the Collector's Edition. Um, we don't know what those things will be, but they will be things. Okay. Yes, no, no, okay, that's fine, I'll keep going. That's an interesting Um, way to do it. Yeah, um, there's new Mass Effect 3 multiplayer DLC, which introduces a new difficulty level and a couple of maps and some new classes. Not new classes, but new subclasses. Um, And it's on Earth, U-R-F. Earth? Earth. What's funny is that (laughs) that reminds me of uh, uh, Independence Day, ID4, and I know that did, was it was it Independence Day that we recorded the last podcast? I think it was before, but that scene where everyone says when Will Smith punches the alien, which is the dumbest scene ever, but we all love it. Welcome to and Earth. Ev- and, and whenever welcome people Earth. repeat it, they say they say welcome to Earth, like U R F Earth, because <laughs> that's what no, that's what people remember him saying. But if you go back and you watch the scene again, he says Earth. He enunciates it perfectly. He says welcome to Earth. It's not welcome to Earth. <laughs> Even though that's what everyone says. I agree with you. People have been needlessly picking on Will Smith for too long, and we won't have any more of it. Will Smith is awesome. Will Smith, not Will Smith. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, One other piece of news uh, as we move on. Just, uh, it's movie news. I got to say that uh, in front of Batman was the the Superman trailer. Oh, no one would care. Nope. That trailer sold me. That trailer was awesome. Anytime okay. you put anytime yeah. you put Lord of the Rings music and you show Chris Nolan's name, I'm interested. Okay, okay. then. 
Well, back to things that are video games. I don't know why. It just it looked cool. I'm sorry. I'm distracted. Uh, Access dropped a bunch of prices on their games, maybe to meet the Atlas sale. Which did we talk about the? Crazy yeah, we Atlas. talked about that. We talked about that last podcast. Okay. Um, Blazing Souls, Axolate, Fate Extra, Jacandia the Timeless Land, and Mimana ER Chronicle, all for PSP, are now $14. <laughs> Mimana uh, IR had such horrible dialogue and characters. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm still not sure Mimana ER is, is, is worth buying, nor uh, Blazing <laughs> Souls, and, but I, I, Fate Extra is not bad. You know, I, I, the, the, that's the that was the one that was uh uh Neil didn't like it, but it was the the battle system where you had to kind of predict what the enemies were going to do. Didn't it have because like a visual novel just, part of it too? Yeah, it's kind of like a visual novel RPG hybrid. Interesting. Uh Record of Agarest War Two is now uh digitally available on PSN. It's forty five dollars and to celebrate the second game, the original or I suppose it's technically the third game since Zero came out. But the original record of Agarest War is now twenty dollars on PSN. Yay! Excellent. Okay. No? Or as our good friend Dave would call it, record of Argarist. <laughs> uh, Mugen Souls gets a limited edition from NIS. It's going to be a hundred dollars. Um, it's going to come with the game, an art book, a soundtrack, and a shampoo bath set, which is a hand towel and sponge. Oh, really? God. Well, Shampuru is a name of a character in the game. Oh. Apparently. <laughs> okay, that was uh, really concerning me. Um, yeah, so that's going to be out September 18th. Uh, the collector's edition is available exclusively from the NIS online store. <clears throat> um, let me find more. Unfortunately, I'm surfing on my tablet, so I don't have a whole bunch of oh, news. Oh, 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 poor you. Yeah, first world problems, man. Sorry, I'm on my Jeez, tablet. Man. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, BioWare announced Ultima Forever Quest for the Avatar, which is a PC and iPad action RPG based on the Ultima franchise. Um, interesting. It's going to have cross-platform play, which is interesting. Um, and apparently it was playable at Comic-Con, which, unfortunately, we didn't have anyone there. But uh, you can sign up for the beta on the website, which, if you find the news story, is in there. Uh, we already talked about it. Fantasy Star Online 2 is coming to North America uh, Yay. next year. Yay. We already had yes. that conversation. Uh, did we have Zillia coming out west on our last one? Tales of Zillia? I think so. Uh, I think so. Yeah, uh, so I'm I'm through our news. It wasn't we had, we had a lot of reviews go up, but not a whole lot on trailers and all that kind of stuff. But not a whole lot in regards to legit news. It's the summer. I mean, Kingdom Hearts is out in a couple of days. Um, yeah, thirty first. We will have a launch day review. Oh yeah. Yeah, Stephen is simple and clean over there. Yeah. Okay. No, actually, this one the intro is Sanctuary, but thank you. Oh, okay. See, I love I love the Japanese version of Sanctuary, but like the the English version just makes no sense. <laughs> it's just terrible. You and I, there's a new land. Wait, what? It's like what? <laughs> the uh, English version of Simple and Clean is worse though, because it's like, does that mean I have to meet your father? Yeah, I, I, I yeah, that is a weird. Uh, God, don't do literal translations. Just they didn't. Really? 
No, the words are different. Like they're that's that's why it's so strange. Uh, okay, I th- I thought it was just like more crazy Square Enix. We're gonna put numbers and hyphens in our titles. No, the the reason is because the singer can sing in English and Japanese, and that's why the song has a different title. It's it's called Hikari in Japanese, like light, and then in English it's called Simple and Clean. Uh, lame. Okay, so uh, let's talk rumors. <laughs> All let's right, talk juicy, rumors. juicy rumors. Uh, it so, has been rumored that Final Fantasy versus thirteen has been canceled. It's Final Fantasy fifteen. <laughs> uh, actually, so. for 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 once, I agree with Rob. Um, yeah. I I think that it's likely that the game has been canceled in Final Fantasy versus form, but I do think it's going to get folded into Final Fantasy fifteen. I think it's going to be a standalone game. Um, and this is not unprecedented. After all, Final Fantasy Ajito 13 ended up being Final Fantasy Type O. So, uh, just in case we're keeping track, who said that they were going to cancel it and retitle it? I think we both did, Stephen. We were both like, yeah, it's probably going to happen. Oh. Uh, now, all right, then. now there, there's okay a lot that. of comments to make about this. I mean, obviously people are, are the knee-jerk response like, oh my god, they spent six years making this game. They lost so much money. Now, let's calm down here a little bit. First off. Calm down, children. We don't know how long that game was in full production, and we don't know if it even was in full production. Um, full production is, as John was pointing out to me, and as he always does, full production is a very different thing than pre-production, than the planning phase for a game. We don't know where they were in the stages of Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen. They definitely did announce it six years ago. That is a thing that happened. And you can definitely argue that maybe they shouldn't have planned that far in advance. But when it comes to how much of a loss is this for Square Enix and the effects that this is going to have in the company, well, we obviously don't know a whole lot, and they don't want us to know a whole lot. M- my main thing to say about this is, first off, this should not come as a surprise and second off, Steven said it best earlier, uh, just before we even started recording, that Square Enix has got some issues. They- man, man I, I just, I, I really get the feeling, and I think they've admitted this too, that their company just has, like, I don't think they're mismanaged. I just think that they really need to figure out how to handle their resources because it shouldn't take them as long to turn around games as it has, particularly with like these staffs of like 500 people making a game. Oh, and I think that, that it was, and they, they announced not too long ago that they were going to try and do more outsourced development like old school NX does, or even they do with, with IDOS Montreal or self-sustaining studios or outside studios to do primary development work. You know, they work with Toast fairly often for their uh, their uh, ports, and I think that that works well for them. Um, but I, I do think that when you have, you know, 500-person teams trying to create a AAA title, that, that that does create a roadblock. Yeah. And if you look at it, like, they admitted after Final Fantasy XII, they go, oh, well, we weren't sure what direction we wanted the game in, go into. And Matsuno came, and then I guess he left, or he left and then he came. And we changed the direction again and that. And then they came out after 13 and they were like, yeah, we changed direction so many times and this and that. We wanted to do this. Then nobody knew where it was going then. And it's like your team should not not know where the game is going while they're in the process of making it. Yeah. Well, I, it, it, it comes down to I, I work in software development. You know, before the developers start work on anything, we give them specs from the business side. Um, I, not too long ago, one of my projects at work was that I had a, uh, a change to one of our checkout pages. Mm-hmm. The developers started work on it and before they had specs, 
and it ended up we had to pull it and it's still not done six months later and you know uh, this is something that i think uh, i'm not trying to bag on japanese development but you have a lot of japanese developers that have said that they have really i i don't think that this is a japanese exclusive thing you look at no, no, no. It's not a Japanese exclusive thing. I, I wasn't going to say that. I mean, we've definitely seen it on the American side, but I think there are certain companies, and I, I think you could make arguments that people, that uh, Western companies like Ubisoft have done a really good job of putting out titles in a timely manner. Now, you can definitely argue that they've, they've struck too much with Assassin's Creed and they've released too many and there's oversaturation. That's a whole other problem. But you have to respect a company that is that has those level of resources is putting them to good use and producing a product very quickly. Oh, absolutely. Given how Final Fantasy 13 turned out and the game that we got, should that game have taken as long as it took to make? I well, would it, say hell it, no. Well, but that's that's also an argument that you can't make because the the final product that we got was because of these shifts and these changes. Final Fantasy thirteen two, which had a much smaller development process, was a much cleaner, better game. Right. Right. Exactly. And and I think like I see what you're saying, Rob, but the thing is that that is the problem, is that because they shifted so many times with what they were going for in the game, that's why it took so long and that's why the final product was a little, you know, it wasn't a horrifically bad game. I know you don't like it, but no, 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 objectively speaking, it was a solid game. It just wasn't as focused as people wanted it to be, or yeah. maybe it was too focused. And I think that a lot of development companies this year, and John was right to correct me in, in making sure that I'm not pointing out that it's just Japanese companies, but I think a lot of companies have really struggled with how to handle development resources in an HD era and – Final Fantasy versus 13, the the problems with that development cycle, Final Fantasy 13, I mean, we are seeing a lot of companies that are struggling, and it's gotten to the point where these games are so expensive to make that if anything goes wrong, unless you're a big mega corporation, unless you're one of the big guys like Square Enix, you could be gone from one bad game. From one game that doesn't sell expectations. Just look what happened with big, huge games, and they made a quality product. That is scary as hell right now. And when I see things like this happening with big development companies and this, uh, again, as, as Stephen was saying, not saying that it's mismanagement, but just a lack of focus, it makes me nervous for the industry. It's like how many times can a company like Square Enix do this sort of thing and have games that don't sell to expectations? How many times can they do this before they do end up in but serious trouble? I, they have a but lot of games can, that do sell to expectations. Exactly. 13-2 was a... 13.2 was but a big success. You, that, that's kind of business, is you have multiple ventures, and one will do incredibly well, and it will make up for others that don't do quite so well. Uh, one issue that I do see with Square Enix is that they announced stuff way too early. Yeah. Like Kingdom Hearts um, 2, four years before it came out? You know, Three. it's... It, it's uh, announcement is great, and letting your, know, letting your fans know that more stuff is coming is great, but... You know, I I wonder if the communications manager at Square Enix Japan, like the VP of Com, needs to change it. And maybe they have a little bit. But I remember, you know, seeing at E3 in 2006, I want to say, 2005 or 2006, um, seeing Front Mission 5 and Code Age Commanders and several, I think those were the two that didn't end up making it, but... You know, they announced a bunch of games, and not all of them made it to North America, even though they said they were going to. 
but I, I think that, that announcing stuff way too early is, is a problem. And, you know, I, I've spoken to, uh, Tom Oley, who's a great guy from, uh, Evolve PR. They do the PR for, uh, for the Witcher in North America and he does a bunch of indie stuff and really kind of a shorter PR cycle is what you need. Get the game done and then do the PR. Yeah, I think Rockstar has done a really good job of that. Of They announce the game early, and they do the, okay, we're making this, and then you don't see it for like a year, year and a half, and then th- when they start marketing that game, when they start releasing like the major trailers, you know that game's right around the corner, uh, Grand Theft Auto V notwithstanding. But like Max Payne 3 announced, we didn't see, we saw a couple screenshots for it, it got a cover story in Game Informer, we saw nothing about it for almost two years. And then, People thought bam. it was canceled. Yeah, and then bam, here's your trailers, this is when it's coming out, got it. Same with Red Dead Redemption, I mean, they showed their first uh, like look at what a Rockstar-developed Western would look like when the PlayStation 3 was first shown off. They had well, there, a, there already was a Rockstar developed Western though called Red Dead Revolver. Well, no, it was that wasn't cool. Rockstar developed. That was Capcom developed and Rockstar released. Capcom was Capcom that developed that. that. That was a pretty cool game though. Right, but but what I'm saying is like the, that Rockstar has really knocked it out of the park. John is right now trying to pr- prove me wrong. I'm sorry, John. You're not going to win this one. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, it was it was co-developed by Capcom and Rockstar San Diego. Well, Rockstar San Diego finished it, but it was originally uh, a, a Capcom joint. Anyway, Rob was right. But anyway, uh, Rockstar has really mastered, I think, the PR stance. And they announce Grand Theft Auto V, and then they can just back off, and it's on everybody's mind. And then they can talk about it later. I think that when Square Enix is doing things like releasing a new 30-second trailer for Versus 13 a year later that adds five extra seconds of footage... That's not making people excited. That's just, you know, you're you're literally just saying, hey, we're still making this. You're not showing me anything new. And then I'll go a step further at this last E3 when they showed their tech demo. And I'm like, uh, can I see yeah, some games? Yeah, I'd like to see some games that are going to come out. How many <laughs> games have you released following that, you know, major announcement of the Fabula, Nova, Crystallis, blah, 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 blah. Like, how many games have you released? Several, several in six years. No, no, no. I they've they they have a fairly robust uh, lineup considering everything. I'm I'm basically I'm basically just looking at the the announcement of the the PlayStation Three and the games that they announced there. I just I think that I'm sorry. Robert, is it, is, do you have a cat? I have two cats and they're jumping Meow. all over me and I'm sorry. <laughs> I have cats. Okay, it's what they do. They're cats. Um. But yeah, I I think Square Enix, it's not like, oh my god, Square Enix is now dead. I really hate my cats. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, It's not like suddenly Square Enix is dead. It's not like, oh, they're now going to go under because Versus 13 isn't coming out. I think it's time for Square Enix to just sit down and have a little come-to-Jesus meeting and say, okay, what do we want to do here? Let's think about what we want to do. Let's establish a goal. Let's try our best to meet it. There's obviously going to be pitfalls along the way. And let's get a cycle going for how we announce a game, how we market a game, and how we release a game. And let's try to get those three things working a little bit better than they have been. I think that's all they need. I'd, again, they're, they're about ready to have a major hit on their hand with uh, Dragon Quest X. That is going to do very, very well for them in Japan. 
that's a game I'm interested in playing. And I think a lot of American gamers are probably interested in playing it. I'd like to hear about that game right now. That game is pretty much done. Now, are they localizing it in English? I don't know. I'd like to hear some things about that game. Is that wrong? No, not at all. I I think that we're only going to get the Wii U version in North America. You're probably right. But, like, that's a game that I am very interested in. And I, I don't think I'm the only one. I don't think I'm an outsider on that. And I'd like to hear some things. That game is done. Let's start talking about whether or not you're bringing it to America. Let's let's start the hype train up a little bit. You have a finished product. <laughs> let's let's I, start talking about that. I'm very excited for Square Enix's game that's coming out uh, middle of next month. Which one? Which one? Sleeping Dogs. That comes uh, out next. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's out on the 14th. That got a oh, lot Sleeping of fun. Dogs, True Crime Hong Kong. Yeah, that game was cool. Yeah, wasn't it originally True Crime Hong Kong, and then it got rebranded? When, when John said Sleeping Dogs, I thought Watch Dogs, and I was like, no. You mean, <laughs> you, mean, you mean the game that everybody thinks is just the next evolution of Assassin's Creed? I saw, that, I, I saw that conspiracy theory going on. I thought that was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, Square Enix, I mean, I, I think Versus 13 is probably dead. I think that they're not going to suddenly drop all those assets. I wouldn't be surprised if at TGS we saw something that looked very similar to Final Fantasy Versus 13, and it was called Final Fantasy 15. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I I gotta say, when they showed the gameplay of it, I was I was interested. No, you weren't, because you don't like Kingdom Hearts. No, no, you were the one that wasn't interested. I was the one that said it was actually pretty good. You were like, this looks like... I wasn't interested, because it just looked like Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, you were like, this looks dumb. I was like, Steven, this is Kingdom Hearts, but emo. You should love this. (laughs) I should love it because of that reason. Like, I I figured Steven would just be, like, losing his mind over this game. No, I thought it looked really cool, but I was also like, well, I mean, you know, it looks kind of like Kingdom Hearts. Why can't I just get into Kingdom Hearts? Because but, that would make too much sense. I think see, that's a, that's another perfect example of how Square Enix like is confusing me. Because Kingdom Hearts three should have came out four years ago. No, that's that's the, the same argument can be thrown at Ubisoft with Assassin's Creed three. How so? Because Assassin's Creed has had just as many spinoff games since Assassin's Creed two. Uh, they've had two spinoff games in two years. And two no, handhelds. wrong handhelds. Handhelds. Are, are we going to include the handhelds in that? Well, that's all you can include with Kingdom Hearts, because all of the spinoffs have been handheld. Okay, so how many main title console editions of Kingdom Hearts have come out since Kingdom Hearts 2? None. One. How many mainline console versions of Assassin's Creed have come out since Assassin's Creed 1? Two. One. At one. I don't get the argument that you guys are making right now. Well, the, the same number of games have come out. But nobody's complaining about it. Well, they were complaining with Assassin's Creed. I think we're just we're just. Shooting. I think you guys are screwing with me. But like what what I'm saying is that uh, Square Enix could really. I don't care if it's a side story or whatever. But there should be a Kingdom Hearts something on console. There, something. Good, the next one is three. Like I've like uh, uh, look. The next one is definitely three. Trust me. Okay. Uh, okay. But I. But now is. But do you see what I'm saying is that that is a that is their killer franchise right now and they're doing bizarre things with it. No, I agree, but the thing is handheld sell really well and n- now when you have that, when they do that, make that, 3 on these let's, I'm sorry. I want to scale back just a second. I don't mean to interrupt you, but Rob 
handhelds in Japan are huge. No, 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 guys, yeah. guys, 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 guys. Okay, okay, we're we're getting all screwed up on our arguments here. Okay, so let's back up for a second. I agree with John. Back up. Okay. Yes, they have released handheld games that have sold remarkably well. Awesome. Okay, and that's what and fans are buying them and they're making a profit on them. Cool. But do a lot of fans want a console version? Yes, absolutely. Would but, it, but, it, but, think, think about it this way, though. By waiting, you know, they've waited till basically the end of this console cycle to say, all right, Kingdom Hearts 3, it's probably going to be a PS3 and maybe even a 360 game. Now you have way more people with those consoles that are going to go and buy it. Odds are almost everybody who has enjoyed the last couple of Kingdom Hearts games has a PS3 or a 360. When Kingdom Hearts 2 had just come out, right after the first spin-off game, you know, the consoles weren't as well established. So from their standpoint, they're probably saying, okay, we're going to wait until the consoles have sold and are further in the life cycle, because then if we invest the development resources in a full-blown console sequel, more people will be able to buy it. I personally don't think Square Enix thinks like that. I think you just made a wonderful argument that I 100% agree with, but I think based off of what Square Enix has been doing for the past six years, I don't think they thought like that. <laughs> I simply I simply cannot believe that they would have come up with that kind of well-thought-out, meaningful argument. Now, I have a question for you guys. Do you think Final Fantasy XV, whatever it is, particularly if it wraps in that action combat system from Versus, is going to be an open world game and a little more Western RPG style? Yes. I I, I, I actually am going to agree simply because I think that <clears throat> Square Enix is going to learn a lot of the wrong lessons from Western development. <laughs> I think that... No, I, think I, right. I, I think they're going to learn a lot of the right lessons, but it... They're also going to learn the some of the negative things and incorporate those. A game doesn't need to be open world to be good. And lots of U.S. and, and European-based developers run into that problem, where they try and make an open world and it ends up sucking. L.A. Noir. <clears throat> Actually, I've started playing that. That game is cool, dude. Dude, that, how far are you into it? I have like four hours. Give it time. Yeah, I, I just worry that they'll make it and they'll end up being like Skyrim where there's no impetus to go forward. I know people argue with me all the time. They're like, no, actually, the st story in Skyrim is pretty good. No, no it's, it's not. not. The writing no, and the story not. in the Elder Scrolls games is horrific. It's terrible. <laughs> like, the lore is interesting, yes, and the books are interesting. But the actual plots in those games are just mind-bogglingly asinine. <laughs> I would agree with you. Um, so I'm just trying to get hate mail, dude. Nobody ever sends me hate mail. <laughs> uh I, I do want to finish up with, with that comment on L.A. Noir, which is that I agree with John. Not every game needs to, be, needs to be open world. I would have loved L.A. Noir if it wasn't open world, if it had a greater focus on the interesting areas that you go and investigate crimes. The fact that it was open world was literally just to say we made it open world. It didn't do anything to make the experience feel more meaningful. It didn't do anything to expand what I was playing. It just was open world this was not the open world integration of a skyrim or a red dead it served 
no purpose. Do you feel it's kind of like No More Heroes open world where there's an open world, but it's just an irritating thing to run through to get exactly, to the next actual exactly. level? And I think that, that one fear that I have is that as much as people, you know, people go back and they, they rewrite history and they say, oh, do you remember those older Final Fantasy games? Do you remember how like nonlinear they were? Well, if by nonlinear you mean the choice between going to two different towns on a map and the one town would expand the story, the other town allowed you to buy different armor pieces, then yeah, I guess it was nonlinear linear i'm worried that we're going to see what john's saying the next final fantasy game that has open world element elements it's just open world for open world's sake and it doesn't do anything the choice between two separate towns is not non-linear gameplay well back in the day that was non-linear but right 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 back it, in the day nowadays no that's not history right. it's revisionist history is that you know that the response to final fantasy 13's corridors is uh, do you guys remember how open Final Fantasy VI was? N no, Final Fantasy Are you defending VI Final Fantasy XIII? I, I, <gasps> this podcast is over. <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just... Crap, I did just defend Final Fantasy vs. I, I just I defended XIII, but I, I, I don't feel wrong. Yeah, you wouldn't. <laughs> okay, so Final Fantasy vs. XIII, I think uh, we'll, we'll see some interesting stuff at TGS. I think if, if we don't see Versus 13 and we don't see The Last Guardian, both games are dead. I'm not so convinced on Last Guardian. I mean, that, that team's development cycles have always been gargantuan. I, I think that Last Guardian, we will see Last Guardian and we're going to wish we didn't. I, I have a feeling that that game is going to come out and we're all going to wish we never played it. You know what I wish I would not hear is your cat's bells. I'm sorry, they're cats. It's what they do. They're well, kids. I mean, they they don't have natural bells. You put the bells on them. Well, I mean, they naturally meow. They make noise. I haven't heard any meows. All I've heard is bells. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So I think that's uh, good for this podcast. So, uh, yeah. Should I end Yay! it? Yay! All right. I'll end it. Okay. So, uh, again, as always, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and give us reviews, please. I'd really like to crack that number 30 on the number of reviews that we, we've had. been at 29 reviews for for like a year yeah it's it's kind of sad really um you know eight four play comes out with their podcast and they have like you know a thousand reviews within like a month and here we are over two years into this and we're at 29 so that just that makes me sad so please give us reviews well, we don't we, we don't translate games for rob i i'm well aware but we should because we have wonderful people like Steven and Kyle who could write very interesting dialogue. Uh, uh, I am learning Japanese. I actually translated a track list for our most recent soundtrack review, so well, we do I, translate I, some stuff. Uh, <laughs> Nihongo Hanashimasu ka? Hi, Dekimasu. <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are saying. I, I, I just asked him if he spoke Japanese. Okay, fine. Uh, yeah, and definitely send us more email because, uh, as you can see, we listen to the email, we point out funny things in it, and we try our best to uh, answer your questions. Yes, we, we will always take topic suggestions, but unfortunately it's easier for us to we, – we have lots of topics that we want to touch on. Um, and it, it's kind of tough because we only record every two weeks, where and we really can't record any quicker than that because we have it requires editing and all that kind of stuff and we have this, lives yeah this is not our job so uh so it's really tough to kind of get games and topics and everything else all together so we will certainly take the suggestions just if we don't talk about them it's not because we don't love you 
it's just because we don't have the time. I personally yeah. don't love you, but yeah, y'all already knew that. Y'all ready for this? Y'all, y'all already got that. Okay, so uh, yeah. Earth. Thanks again, guys, and uh, we will see y'all later.